This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Hello, podcast listeners. We are back. Took a little bit of a hiatus, a few months actually, which was honestly longer than I wanted it to be. I had some changes in my business. I had some, some things happening at home and I definitely needed to take a little breather and divert some time to where I thought it should be prioritized as much as I didn't like it because I love doing this podcast and I love the connections that I make, but it was necessary. And like I said, longer than I wanted it to be, but that's okay. It was worth it. It was the right move. And here we are back at it. So thank you. Thank you for jumping back on. Thank you for listening. I am really excited about the list of guests you're going to hear coming up. I've got business owners. I've got some former professional athletes. I've got some brilliant body experts. You know, I've always been blessed to have the connections that I have. And uh, that's only growing thanks to you know, a combination of social media and this podcast. And uh, I'm excited that now you get to hear from these people because you should. Because every time I do a recording, my life gets a little better. I learn something new and I make a change. And if you can say the same thing by listening to this podcast, then it's all worth it for me. So for today, I'm going to kick off this resurgence call it the continuation of season two with a amazing guy named Trevor Costello, who is, I guess you can call him a, a youth strength and conditioning coach out of Texas, but he is so much more than that. Trevor's one of those guys that I came across, well, I don't know how I came across him. I really don't know how him and I connected. I'm sure it was something with, we have some mutual connections in the strength and conditioning world, and that's, that's probably how. So after months of following him, I saw him post another side of him that I wasn't aware of. And that's what made me reach out. So what you're going to hear today is a story about Trevor's battle with addiction and how his family and his working with youth athletes eventually led him into what he is doing today, which is some amazing things with helping today's youth who is struggling with the same things that he was struggling with. Trevor is he's just an all around great guy. He's got a great attitude. He is utilizing fitness as a tool in his, in his daily health, his mental health and his physical health. And he is just a great role model and messenger for all of the youth athletes he works with. And on top of that, what I haven't mentioned yet, he's also just a great coach. He's a great strength coach. He's making kids bigger, stronger, faster, yet all the added bonuses on top of that. So I am fortunate to have been able to talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. I made life changes after speaking with him. My perspective on things like addiction changed. And when you listen in, you'll know what I mean. But I want to thank Trevor before I even start this episode officially because uh, he, he doesn't even know yet the changes he has helped made for me. And I'm excited to tell him one day. But without further ado, here we go. Listen in to Trevor Costello 
As always, please rate and review when you are done and let me know if you have any questions. All right, listeners, we are back and I am honored to be on with strength coach, youth athlete coach, and probably most importantly, in my mind, youth mentor, Trevor Costello. Trevor, thanks, man, for being on. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. You're another example of the joy of social media because you and I really connected kind of randomly just because we're in similar fields and, uh, you know, we came into each other's content and it turns out we know a few of the same people, uh, other coaches and mentors that both of us have used over the years. Mm. I'd like to kick off with just a little bit of, uh, of your story, who you are, where you're from, what you do. Mm. Okay. Well, obviously my name is Trevor Costello, uh, owner of TLC performance. You can kind of see right there, the TLC, Basically, my background is I was born and raised in the Dallas, Texas area, kind of in the northern towns, Carrollton, Denton, Louisville, Flower Mound. That's kind of the area that I stuck my nose in uh, growing up uh, and the parents raised me. Uh, I went to Marcus High School in the area. I was a two-sport athlete, played varsity, soccer, and football. I was a starter for three years on football. I was a starter for two years on soccer and it was a very trying time in my life, just being kind of like told, like, you're the guy, things like that. And, you know, I kind of expected for everything to be handed to me in the sense, um, despite that I had to work hard to get to those positions of doing that during high school, it kind of got to this point where I was like, I've got everything rolling for me and I don't have to do too much for the rest of life. And once I graduated college or graduated high school, I started just slowly rolling downhill and getting in trouble after a little bit of trouble with the law my senior year and my parents pretty much told me cut off all your college scholarships football and soccer we don't want you leaving town we want you to prove to us that you can be a good person before we send you off to college so I stuck myself in community college for the first year fought through some mental demons and some battles uh managed to stay sober for pretty much 11 months after my trouble with the law my senior year and come the second semester of my college I slowly got back into drugs and alcohol use uh, thinking that I had it under control and that's kind of like spiraling into once I got back into it, ended up moving off to college, went to university of Arkansas for about a year and a half, ended up losing my scholarship for in-state tuition, came back home, went to UNT for a couple semesters while I was there, ended up dropping my second semester because I became the head trainer at a local sports performance facility. And in my time there, I kind of was like, I don't really need my degree. This is exactly what I want to do with life. And got sober again for about three or four months while I was working there. And you'll notice the trend here. Uh, my sober months were usually always my best time. And then just kind of the ego kicked in and was like, listen, man, you've got it under control. You can get back into the drug use and the alcohol use. And from working as the head trainer at the facility, I was there for about a year and a half and ended up quitting that because of mental demons and fights and stuff like that. I had going on my head got into doing security at a nightclub in the Dallas scene. And from there, things just kind of slowly spiraled out of control and got really into the drug use and the alcohol use with my time at the club. Not anything to do with the club necessarily. They weren't necessarily condoning it by any means. Um, it was just more of like a personal choice. I was like, if I can get my hands on some weed, I'm going to smoke it. If I can get my hands on some cocaine, I'm going to do it. If I need to go to sleep, I can pop some Xanax and go to sleep. If I need to be energized during the day, Adderall, Vyvanse, any sort of those methamphetamines and pretty much drinking every day at any point in time. Uh, if not every day of the week, at least five or six days of the week consistently, but there was not a single day that I wasn't under the use of some sort of drug or alcohol. 
And as co- as we all know, COVID was kind of a tough time when it hit last year. But at the end of the day, I'll always be able to tell people that COVID was kind of my saving grace because I was back with the sports performance facility for January to March last year and trying to get back into that game. Couldn't really get things rolling for myself. And when COVID hit, the sports performance facility and the gym ended up closing down as well as the club. So I was out of jobs and I had nothing really going for me. And I went and saw my old counselor from high school who had always dealt with my anger and depression and kind of was honest with him to a degree about some of the things with my drug usage. You know, he was a drug counselor. So that was one of his big things is even though I'm working with you for anger and depression, I'm only going to work with you if you're sober. And when I went and sat down and talked with him and this was like, you know, we'd been working together for the last six or seven years. He was like, there's nothing I can do for you anymore. You have to go away and you have to go away for a while. And biggest thing of this whole story is kind of, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, my younger brother who I idolize and kind of put him on a pedestal a little bit. When I tell this story, um, I ended up looking at a facility for rehab that was closer to my town. And there was one in South Padre Island that I was interested in going to. And when we checked out the one near us, my mom and I were driving off and I was in the back of the car. My stepdad was with us. And she told me, she was like, my younger brother was willing to give me his entire tax return for paying for my rent, getting rid of my apartment, moving me out, paying for rehab. And still kind of choke up talking about it, just thinking about the situation that I put him in. And I just broke down crying in the back of the car. And she was like, how's that sound? Or like, did you hear me? And she turned around and saw me crying. And I just looked at her dead in the eyes and I said, wherever you need to send me and however long you need to send me there, get me away because I need to fix myself because I see myself as kind of, excuse me, getting choked up again, just thinking about it. It's like, I kind of see myself as like, if you're the older brother, you're your younger brother's keeper. And like, you got to protect him. You got to watch out for him. And he should have never been in that situation where he was willing to offer me his own income and his own tax return to try and save my life. And So from that point forward, I was just like, we got to go. And so three days later, I checked into rehab at South Padre Island, this place called Origins Behavioral Therapy. And for 45 days, I was there and got sober, got my mind right, got my ideas right about what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be in life. And once I got sober, man, it was just bouncing around a couple sober homes. I lived in Kerrville down by San Antonio for a little bit, moved up to Dallas, did a strength and conditioning program with an organization that I had worked with in the past and also helped train me when I was younger this summer and then moved in with my mom out kind of in the middle of nowhere, just for the last six months of the year for 2020. And I was out there during the weeks and on weekends, I was coming back into fly mound to see my friends and hang out with them. And that's when I kind of got kickstarted on TLC performance. I'd changed my Instagram handle to TLC performance. And one kid called one weekend and was like, Hey, I'm looking for some soccer training. Or his dad called and was like, I'm looking for some soccer training for so-and-so. And I was like, I can do it. And one kid turned to two, two turned to three, three turned to four showing up every weekend on Fridays and Sundays. And all of a sudden one parent was like, and what's your business name? And I was just like shocked by it immediately. And I just okay. go TLC performance. And she was like, all right, awesome. And so from that point forward, I was just known as TLC performance. And by Thanksgiving, we ended up running a camp with the soccer club that a lot of these kids had come from, had 32 kids show up to that and just kind of kept things rolling. After January of 2021, I moved in with a family or a friend's family and stayed with them for two months. And then I ended up moving with a friend 
she just bought a house and offered me a room for rent. And I was like, I'll take it. And so now we're just taking off, moving in the right direction. We just got the LLC filed for TLC performance and man, it's a lot of learning experience with the whole business side of things. Cause I've always considered myself a great coach and all that, but you know, I'm learning a whole lot about the business and hoping not to screw any of this up along the process, but that's pretty much your brief, but not very brief synopsis of how we got here today, man. And that's pretty much it. I can go into way more detail about a lot of those things, but I'm sure we'll hit those points here in a little bit. So that's how we got here with Trevor Lewis Costello and TLC performance, man. So I, I, Trevor, I love it, man. I love it. Uh, there's so many messages there, you, you know, the, the people you have in your life and you know how lucky we are to have those people and, you know, the support systems and, and the people that don't have those things. And we'll get into in a little bit, how you're becoming that support system now for others. But I do want to go back to the story a little bit. Um, you know, how, how old were you when you say things really kind of started? You know, in, the, in the pre-talk, we talked about, you know, kind of, um, actually, no, it wasn't the pre-talk. It was in your video on Instagram, which, by the way, everyone should go watch because um, if you, I got choked up during your video, okay? Because that's how much it meant to me, you know, also from a fellow coach that works with youth athletes. Um, and now as a father, you know, I start to envision my kids going through, you know, you know what, what you went through. But if you can go back through maybe, maybe how old were you when you started and, you know, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So it started, I was honestly 13 and I was in eighth grade and I knew a couple kids that had gotten into smoking some weed. And I was just like, you know, it was weird because like all the athletes had not really gotten to that point yet. And even though I considered myself part of the athlete group, I wasn't really in that friend group as weird as that sounds. Like I was on the lot or in the locker room, I was on the field and I was one of our best players. I'd argue maybe I wasn't, but I argue I was one of our best players for both the football and the soccer team and playing my role for soccer. I wasn't really a great soccer player until later on, I'd say. But on the soccer team, I was the center back. I was the guy on the defense that everyone was like, dude's a brick wall. He's going to kick it out. He's going to get the ball back to us and he's just going to play his role. And so with that, I considered myself highly important. But I also saw a couple of my old friends who were still kind of friends. As weird as it sounds, like they were more accepting of having me hang out with them than a couple of the guys that were on the football team. And it's like, not like a, they hated me or anything, but they just had their own friend group and the soccer team kind of had a friend group. And so I was like, I got to find some friends that I like hanging out with on weekends who like hanging out with me. And it was the weed smokers. And I ended up jumping in with them. And again, that's just not a knock on anyone that I grew up with. So if any of them watch it, you know, it's nothing on you guys. It was just my own choice. I also had a siblings and cousins and stuff who were older who didn't idolize it and tell me to do it by any means, but I saw that they were doing it. So it was like, smoke some weed, ended up getting in trouble for it. Uh, about two weeks later, I just admitted it to my parents and they grounded me for the whole summer. So that whole summer I did nothing. And then man, about freshman year, halfway through the first semester, got back into smoking some weed. I was playing JV football. So I was around older guys and stuff. And you know, that I was like, if these guys are getting away with it and some of the varsity guys were getting away with it, it's like, why can't I do it? And so I kept getting into the smoking weed, bound sophomore year, got in trouble again. Then junior year, things just took off. Partying every weekend with, you know, friends and trying to have the next big thing go down where it was like, okay, this is where the girls are going. This is where the drinking is going down. This is where the quote unquote cool kids and all the fun stuff is going down. And then ended up getting in trouble senior year, stayed sober through my freshman year of college, the first semester at least, got a 4.0 the first semester. I was like, boom, I can totally handle this. I can keep it under control. And 
it was pretty slow with usage, pretty much only on weekends when I was going through my second semester of college. But as soon as I moved away, shit just hit the fan and took off again. And, you know, I was living five or six hours from home and got into the drug dealing scene. And, you know, I'd done a little drug dealing when I was in high school and got into it bigger when I was in college. Cause I was like, shoot, I can hold four or five pounds at my house and get rid of it in a week or so and move it that way. And then came back down and, once I was doing nightclub security after I moved home about two years after moving home, it was like, man, everyone's looking for cocaine at 2 AM. Everyone's looking to find the next party. Everyone's looking to do this. And I hated being the guy without the solution. So I always wanted to fit in. So it was like, if I always have some cocaine, if I always have some Adderall, if I always have some weed and if I always know where the next party is, I'm included. And when I felt included, it was like, the one thing that I wasn't realizing is that I wasn't including my own mental health into that. Mm-hmm. I was sacrificing a lot of that to fit in or do what I think was fitting in. And at the end of the day, I just wasn't fitting in because I was lying about who I was. I wasn't myself. And it was a lot of sacrifices that I made in order to do the whole fitting in thing. And honestly, after that, it was like, it all just kind of spiraled out of hill or downhill last year between January to March, especially And by March, like I said, man, COVID was just an absolute saving grace because if it hadn't happened, who knows, you know, I could have stayed at the club. I could have gotten in more trouble. I could have gotten in trouble with the law. I could have completely lost myself and I was doing some dumb stuff, but at the end of the day, it was a huge learning lesson and life experience. And I believe I got out of it with just a story to tell for a reason, because like I always say, when I go to rehab and when I got out of rehab, it was like, I'd say I'm lucky. And there's a reason for that because not a lot of other people are lucky. And one of those things that did happen was unfortunately me, my roommate from rehab who helped me out with a whole lot when I was there. Um, he did recently pass away and he had an overdose. And it was just one of those things where it's like even catching up with all my guys from rehab, you know, most of us are all still sober and we just had no idea he was even in that situation and hearing about it was like, I wish there was something else I could have done, but coming to peace with it, just being like, it's a story to tell because at this point, you know, I've kept my life and kept everything up. So some kid might see it as like, Oh, maybe I'm not an addict and I can just keep it in control. And I want to be able to pass that story off to them where I can be like, you never know when you'll lose control. And there's one of those stories that we always say is like every addict is going to use for the last time. Only a few of us live to tell the tale. And that's the tough part about the battle. And that's the tough part about the, the nature of the beast, as we say. And so it's just like, tough, but the biggest thing is like, how can you find and maintain peace? And the best way that I've found to maintain peace is really just what are you doing to help others and serve others? One of those things and kind of going off, but staying on course at the same time while I wrap this portion up before we go to the next question or next topic is when I was in rehab, I read a lot of spirituality books. You know, I read a book that was written by a Jewish rabbi. I read a book that was guys by some guy who was Hindu I read a book about a Christian monk and I read a book about some guy that was really just spiritual, if nothing else. And one day I took a vow of silence, which is where you're just quiet for 24 hours and you have to sit with your own own thoughts on that time. And one of those things I did during that vow of silence was I was like, what do all these cultures, what do all these beliefs, what do all these religions and kind of lifestyles have in common? There's got to be one common denominator that every single one matches up with. And it's man is here to help other man. 
that's what I've found from it. And so at the end of the day, it's just always like, what have you done for someone else? And I don't mean like, what have you done for someone else that will do something for you in return? It's what have you done for someone else that's going to not even come back to pay you back or not even going to do you any favors or like I think of the kindness thing where it's like kindness and generosity is not doing something for someone that can help you out in return later. It's what you can give to someone else who can absolutely do nothing for you. And so with me, with working with kids, with training, with mentoring kind of, and trying to like lead kids into this position, we're not just for developing good athletes in the process, which obviously everyone wants to be a good athlete at a young age. It's how can I train you to be kind of like a side effect without even necessarily focusing on it? How can I make you show respect? Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. How can I get you to focus on one of your elders? How can I get you to communicate well? How can I get you to understand that being a good person is always going to surpass being a good athlete? Because at the end of the day, your athletic trump triumphants and your athletic wins are one thing. But people are certainly going to remember who you are and how you treated them more than they are going to be like, this guy won a Super Bowl. No one could care about that. If they can't sit down and have a dinner or have a coffee with you and enjoy the conversation and enjoy being around you, then you're missing a huge piece of the human you know, development process. So, yeah, well, absolutely. It, I, I think this is where a lot of strength coaches miss and maybe they don't miss. I shouldn't say that, yeah. but where I think the opportunity lies with what we do for a living is exactly what you just said. Most of our athletes are not going to end up on a professional field. It's just the truth. And that's okay. We have an opportunity to help them further. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think the first time I realized that was when I started working with the adult population a little more and starting to realize the troubles they had at 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, you know, and if I could get some of my athletes to just gain an appreciation for fitness and for health, if that's a lesson they left me with, regardless of whatever level they grew to in terms of sports, I, I did my job, but you just took it a step further, which I love. You know, we, we get to set these precedents of responsibility of, of manners of just, uh, of respect respect and I love it. And, and that's, that's something that probably most parents don't realize their kids might be getting when they first enroll them. They just want them to get faster, bigger, and stronger. And then hopefully they come out, like you just said, which I think is a goal of sports in general, or at least should be youth sports should be about everything you just said, assuming the right coach like you is in front of them. Mm -hmm. Um, before we move on to, to some of the mentorship stuff, you know, everything you said really resonated in terms of, you you know, I'd be lying if I said that I hadn't had some level of experience like you did, but, and I don't say that from a comparison standpoint, I say that because most people did. And that slippery slope is so small. I was 13. I was exactly 13. The first time we met at a park and, and one of the guys had a seven up, a seven up two liter filled with vodka. Mm. And that was the first time I ever experienced alcohol in my life. You know, and then growing through high school football, and then I was fortunate enough to play some, you know, some level of, of college and semi-pro sports, it never left. There was always those pockets of guys that were doing something. So the opportunity was always there. And how many people either get lucky enough to miss it or are lucky enough that they, like you said, are are doing just enough to not consider it a problem. And maybe life luckily kind of phases itself out. But how many really, it truly is luck because most could have ended up like, like your friend you just talked about 
you know, like you, but maybe not fortunate enough to end up now with you with the lessons that you have. And yeah, uh, and that's, uh, there's not really a question there, I guess, is a reflection of, of just how, how much people like you are needed to help teach these lessons earlier, because the opportunity is going to be there for kids, whether we like it or not. Mm. So I, I love what you're doing. And maybe now we can go into the, the mentorship side because now you're starting to flip the script and you're, you're trying to take the opportunity to talk to more kids about it. So how did that start? How did you want to start becoming not only someone that became better, but someone that wanted to share your story and help others? So it kind of started off and this kind of leads me into hopefully what my future will look like as well. One of my good friends, Zoe, uh, she's in like my best friend group and also someone that I would consider a best friend. Uh, it was her birthday in October and we were all over at her house celebrating her and kind of enjoying life and stuff. And her aunt actually was the drug counselor at my old high school. And so she pulled me to the side and talked to me a little bit and was like, obviously, if you don't feel comfortable sharing your story or something, no big deal. But I'd love to have you at the old high school that you graduated from, because I think your story is going to resonate and really hit with these kids. And I agreed entirely. I said, that's the biggest thing is because we always see the drugs and the alcohol hit athletes and celebrities and people that are away from us. So you kind of never really visualize that being a potential issue and let alone becoming a potential issue, let alone admitting that it was you. And that was the hardest part, Mm -hmm. but I'd argue that now it's the easiest part for me. And that's why I started my story off with basically like I was at an AA meeting. My name is Trevor Costello. I am a drug addict and I am an alcoholic and I'm going to take that to the grave with me. I always will be. There's nothing I can do about it. And the moment that I no longer admit that I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict is the moment I begin using again, because I think I've got it under control. And so that's the biggest thing I tell you in AA is like every meeting, every time you talk, every time you share your story, my name's Trevor, I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. And one of those other things that we always say when it comes to sobriety is, do you know who's been sober the longest? Whoever woke up first today. That's always it. It's not... I've got 13 years of sobriety. It's not, I've got 25 years of sobriety. It's not, I've got 48 hours of sobriety. The person who woke up earliest, because we always say it's one day at a time. And that's how you fight this battle. You don't have to think about, wow, I'm going to be sober for the next rest of my life. That's a scary thought at first, Mm -hmm. but now it's like, it's just become a lifestyle and kind of my habits where it's like, dude, I'm just sober. And I don't attach myself to alcohol and I don't attach myself to any of the drugs that I used to use because I couldn't ever imagine myself going back to it. I say that, but there's still days where I'm like, man, smoking a little weed would be good right now. Or I've got a shit ton of stuff to do today. I wish I could just pop an Adderall. And I, you know, I've been diagnosed with ADD and ADHD and people have told me I kind of like attribute myself to that. But it's like, I even tell kids these days. It's not that I don't believe ADD and ADHD are real. I just think that telling an eight-year-old that they have trouble focusing is missing the point. They're eight years old. They've never focused. It's like from the physical aspect of training, if you've not power cleaned or done box jumps or done high knees even ever in your life, but you do it for the next two years, three or four times a week, you're going to get pretty damn good at it. It's the same thing with focusing and from the mental aspect for kids. It's like, if you've never focused, if you've never raised your hand to talk, if you've never listened to anybody, then it's going to be a hard time for you to do it. When you train the brain to start, okay, I'm going to be quiet and listen, or this is my time to talk. 
And now I'm going to train my body to do this. And this is how I'm going to do this every time. And this is how I can improve. And this is where I should probably not even think about this very much. All those aspects come together from the physiological and the psychological side of things. And so going back to how it basically started was my friend's aunt, Michelle, invited me out to speak to the school. And she was like, I'd like to end the week with you. So come out on Friday, the last day of Red Ribbon Week and the last day of drug awareness. And that's when I went and gave my speech. And my favorite part to me was I gave my speech and I posted about it on Facebook the night before and tagged a couple of my old teachers. And they were like, come say hi and talk to us and just, you know, run by my classroom when you finish. And so like with COVID restrictions and everything, they weren't necessarily allowing visitors in the school, but I'm a graduate and everything. And also I was there for Red Ribbon Week. So the principals and APs were like, go have your day, walk around the school, talk to teachers and stuff. And I think the one that resonated the most with me is like, I talked to a couple of classes, my teachers and old coaches that invited me in and they were like, listen to this kid. And so I talked to a little bit of the classes and one of my teachers who was on an off period came up to me and cried a little bit and gave me a hug. And she was like, I have one student in my class who's been in trouble with the law a couple of times already, seems to be struggling a little bit and doesn't really believe that anything is going to affect him. But the reason I wanted to go talk to my old high school is because like six years ago, I was in these halls. I was walking around like you. I was the star football, star soccer. Everyone knew that I was the only guy that played football and soccer, let alone was great at both of them. Maybe ego talking a little bit, but I'd say, obviously, if you are had my kind of resume, it's like, okay, he's probably pretty damn good at what he's doing. And I thought I was on top of the world. And you too can very quickly go down that slippery slope if you're not careful about it. And she told me, she's like, I had this one student who would just talk every day during the announcements when someone was speaking on drug and alcohol addiction and wasn't paying attention and wasn't doing this, that, and the other and didn't care. And then he always made jokes afterwards as soon as the announcement ended. And she said, when you started talking to when you finished, he was completely silent. And when I asked the class at the end, she said, does anyone have anything to say about that? That was one of my former students who was speaking today. And he was the first person to raise his hand. And she was my Latin teacher. So Magistra in Latin means teacher. And so he was like, Magistra, that was the story I needed to hear. Like those other people that came and spoke and like, I don't know who they were. So I'm not trying to knock them or anything, but he was just like, that was the story that hit me. And that's what I wanted to hear. And even the, my family or my friend's family that I was living with, living with his mom is one of the teachers at the school. And she came down to the office and immediately opened the door as soon as I finished and gave me a hug. And she was just like, when I was walking through the halls to come down here to see you, you could have heard a pin drop. Like not a single person in the entire school was talking. They were just silent and listening to you. And I was like, that's it. Like, if that's all I do in this life and that's all I take away from me where it's like, I can help one. I mean, there's like 3,500 kids in this school. If I can help one of them, then I did my freaking job. Absolutely. You don't choose who resonates with you too. You know, I, and I think that's, I, I did a webinar yesterday for my business and a lot of it was on how to get family buy-in in terms of just general health and wellness. You are asking for more support from a loved one. Hey, I want to lose weight. Um, I'd like you to help me out. I'd like you to make sure that I don't do this, do that, whatever it might be. Or I would like my partner, spouse, grandmother, friend, whatever it might be, 
get a little healthier. How do I start getting that buy-in? And I talked a little bit about the, the neurological side of decision-making. I think what people have to be sensitive to is a lot of our choices aren't choices. A lot of them very much so are, are neurological. So, you know, that kid probably needed to see someone that he literally saw himself in, that he saw a mirror in. And like you said, it wasn't a knock on the other, the other speakers. They did a great job, if anything. It just wasn't, it wasn't his resonator. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why we can't give up on people too when they have things, because we have to keep letting some opportunity come in before it clicks. And that might be a, a really good takeaway from, from this podcast episode too, is for those that are struggling with anything, maybe not even struggling, those that want to build a business, find their niche. I think you, you have to just keep trying because you have to wait to see what really clicks. So it's a really cool story about the kid in general, because when he wasn't listening to the other mentors, it probably wasn't that it, it probably, he was probably purposefully not listening. So it was uncomfortable to him. He didn't want to hear it. You know, he wasn't ready to hear it. So good for you that you ended up being the person that was, that was able to help him. Um, and you mentioned you wanted to take this kind of further. Where do you see the mentorship side of, of your life going? So kind of two different aspects. And the first one is, was unexpected, but kind of exciting for what's coming up is the girl, the aunt, and her name is Michelle. And I thought that was a lot of irony in that because my mom's name is Michelle. And I believe in weird little connections like that in the universe. And so Michelle is, hopefully I'm not saying anything too prematurely, but I believe she's retiring from Marcus, my old high school, as the drug counselor. Maybe she's still continuing there, but basically her family has received a lot of funds and funding for opening up a male rehab facility but not for 18 plus for ninth grade to 12th grade boys. And it'll be a 60 or 90 day stay in where either you got in trouble with the law, your family doesn't know what to do, or sometimes in the worst case scenarios an overdose, but it, you know, it's open to everyone. And the situation is that they're, they've already bought a ranch out really close to us and they're going to kind of cater to our school district, but everyone in the state and everyone in the nation will have access to it. And I think it's a really cool opportunity for me to become the lead recovery coach at them. And we're going to open that facility in either September is what it's looking like time-wise, but maybe even in October. But at that point in time, you know, she even told me, she's like, I wasn't really sure if I should reach out to you because I see that your business is doing really well and you're bringing in a lot of kids. And I was like, I agree, it is going well. But with sports performance, you're working with kids at five o'clock. You're free all day. And so it's like my days are spent studying, doing mentorships, talking with other coaches, being on Instagram and social media, trying my best to use it to my advantage where it's making connections, talking with people like yourself and meeting people who have the same passions and interests as you. And then I only work in person for about three hours a night, three and a half hours a night, maybe at best. And so during the day, I was like, I've got free time. And so come the time when it's coming time to open this facility, she wants to bring me on as a lead recovery coach. And I was, and there's going to be two lead recovery coaches. So me and someone else. And I told her pretty much, I was like, I like to be the morning guy. The first kid, first person these kids see Monday through Friday, 7am, take them through their first meeting, go to my office, check in with kids individually, something like that. How's this going? What's working? What do you not like? Do you not like it because of your ego and you're not ready to pay attention to these things and not ready to listen or is it something that we can do better from an adherence standpoint? Do we need to work our meetings a little differently to give you all some more freedom to speak and hear from you? Or do we need to have more structure? Do we need to have less structure? Things like that. 
and also kind of be a guy that meets up with parents and talks to them. And it's just like, okay, you're not allowed to come for the first 30 days. I'm not entirely sure on all the rules and everything, but on weekends after the first 30 days, you'll be able to come to the facility and check in on your kid's progress and things like that. So it's like, I know a couple other people, one guy in Oklahoma who's running like seven or helping to run like 17 different sober homes. And he's like, we'll hear from people all the time who they've got a 16 year old or a 17 year old and we're not legally allowed to take them because they're not 18 years of age. Mm -hmm. So we need somewhere to refer them to. And I've also got some other people down in South Padre and some other people in Kerrville and just all these other cities that I can be like, when we're up and running, you recommend these kids to us, we'll find them a place and we'll take care of them. And I'm going to be able to do that to the best of my ability and then turn over Monday through Friday and go right into my training and kind of give myself a little break. Cause working out is a huge thing for me give myself some time to work out, give myself some time to relax and eat my second or third meal of the day, whatever it is. That's just kind of non-specifics that don't really matter. You know, the semantics <laughs> yeah, right. get out there, do my training and go home. And it's just going to be like, I'm okay. Taking this lifestyle to the grave with me. It'll be a, sun up to sundown type of situation. But like I said, man, if you've been given a lot, your goal is not to maintain it yourself. It's like at the end of the day, everything is not going with you. Your legacy will stay. Who are you? Who were you? And how do people remember you? And whether or not anyone remembers my name three generations from now, I could care less. But if someone remembers the principles that I instilled in them, and how to live and how to treat others, which the biggest thing for me is like, even though I consider myself to be a Christian and believe Jesus Christ was a real person that came down and died for our sins, I like to think of myself as more of a spiritual human being because it offers way more connection for whatever your religion is, whether there is a religion or not. Mm -hmm. It offers more access to how are you going to live your life while you're on this planet, whether you believe there's nothing or whether you believe there's something after this life. How are you going to treat people well? And the biggest thing that I always say is when you treat someone else with respect and show them love, it's like, that's how you take care of yourself. Like I had a friend that was struggling with relapsing recently as well. And he called me and was like, dude, I'm just, I'm having a hard time. What should I do? And I said, first thing I said, what have you done for someone else lately? Like, honestly, and not just like from a selfish, like, cause sometimes we do things for other people and don't even realize it's selfish until after the fact or until someone asks us about it. And it's like, okay, I did that, but I did that because I expected them to, or like I paid for their meal, but I expected them to pay for the next, or I did this for them and picked them up, but I expect them to drive me next time or whatever it is. I expected something in return. And that's unfair because it's an unspoken contract that we're asking them to sign mentally, but they didn't know they were signing. What have you done for today for someone that can't do anything for you? And I always tell people, I'm like, that's what feeds your soul as weird as that might sound to some people, but some people might resonate. It's like, what are you doing for someone else? And if you're doing something for someone else, let that shit hit because yep. that's how we take care of ourselves where it's like, when you're giving back, you're actually receiving a whole lot more than you thought. It's just, it's a weird connection. But when you believe in the entire yes, connection yes. of all of us, you're giving. And when they feel better, surprisingly, you feel better. And all of a sudden it's small stuff. Like I have the confidence to go take care of that BS that I need to go take care of because I helped someone else first. And sometimes it's like, take care of this BS first. And now you can pass it off. This is how I started my business. This is how I got kids. This is how I started getting regenerating revenue. This is how I did this. And this is how I'm going to show you how to do it because I know you've got something special going on and I want you to be able to do that too. So yeah, I did an episode with a guy named Joshua Hale. 
Josh is, he's the director of Big Shoulders Fund, which is Mm -hmm. a youth community group here in Chicago. I joined a board for Big Shoulders Fund, I guess it was five years ago now. And the organization, we work with 77 different struggling city schools in the Chicagoland area. And a lot of these kids are, you know, in in very similar spots or just in impoverished neighborhoods or, you know, the schools need support to stay open because for most of these neighborhoods, these schools are the only school. So if these schools shut down, these kids, where do they go? Where Mm -hmm. do they go? So that's what the organization does. But the point of that is when I had him on, I talked about the selfishness of volunteering. You know, and I use that word and, and you obviously for the people that are not watching this um, on a video, you know, Trevor just smiled. My question was, you know, where, where's the line? Where, where did he, someone who, who started this organization and it was the, the ultimate philanthropist, where's the line? And he said exactly what you just said. And I loved it. He was, you know, it's, it's okay to get fulfillment out of giving. It might not be the original reason you do it, but it's automatically going to happen anyway. You know, it's, it's a feeding of the soul thing. And I've missed that since COVID hit and we really just haven't been able to do the events like we used to. I've missed that. I, you know, I've, I've realized something is missing in my life and it's that. It's, it's that fulfillment of giving. It's, it's seeing the kids' faces and it's helping them. And it was just and such was an just interesting point that, that you just brought up because we had, there's a whole episode on that if you want to go back and listen to it at some point. Yeah, I think it would, it, would probably, it, would, it would probably one that be obviously right up your alley. But I love that because you're right. You're not giving to get, but you do get. Yeah. And it's not even like, like I said, like, it's not them paying for you next time. Right. It's surprising them and being like, and that's just the, the, the first thing that I can think of, but it's, it's most of the time it's just human connection, but it's little stuff. Like it's my friend's birthday. I'm gonna go to the waiter and I'm gonna tell him to charge my card and I'll take care of today and not tell them. And then afterwards, if they say something like I'll pay next time, it's like, no, don't worry about it little stuff like that when it doesn't even have to be a physical literal like existing thing that you gave back sometimes it's listening it's just hearing them and so there's like three quotes that i want to say real quick while we're here it's just yep from the aa book the one that like you know i've read it i've gone through it two or three times the one that stuck with me selfishness and self-centeredness that we believe is the root of all our problems and that's what we understand when it's like when we're drinking, when we're using drugs, when we're taking ourselves away from other people, at a certain point in my time, I believed that was self-care. And what I learned in rehab was that that was selfishness because people would hit me up. People would ask where I was. People would ask if I was going to come out. And even when I did go out, it wasn't about spending time with them. It was about, I'm going out with you because I want to use drugs and because I want to use alcohol to silence my own inner demons. And so like you were talking about with like that connection and where the line is, it's like where you're missing that fulfillment. It's like the reason you're missing that is I watched a Ted talk during one of my post rehab counseling ones. And I forget what it was or who it was, but she said she was talking about addiction and she goes, connection is the opposite of addiction. Because when you get addicted to whatever it is, for me, it was drugs and alcohol. And in the past, it's been working out. When the past, it's been food. In the past, it's been getting likes on Instagram. Little stuff like that where I was just absolutely obsessed with it. Yep. And I really ruined, not ruined, but dampered some relationships where people were like, 
he's doing this too much or you're always busy working out or like, we don't get to hang out with you because you're hitting your second workout today. Or when I'm with you, you're only trying to get higher. You're only trying to get higher. Like when they're all like, dude, I'm done. I'm like time for me to go. And I'm going to go home and then keep using and spend time alone versus keep enjoying the time that was there with Mm -hmm. typically people that were non addicts. But at the same time, it's like, that was me self-caring for myself going home and having a couple beers or saying that I was just having a couple beers. And really I was just drinking until I could go to sleep or going home and smoking weed till I could go to sleep and popping Xanax and watching Netflix or doing stupid shit like that. And just was being completely selfish. And so that other thing, like I was saying, where it's like, it's not always a literal physical thing that we're doing for people to give back. Sometimes it's the listening aspect. So when I was in rehab, I was reading, reading a leadership book. And the one that stuck with me the most from that book, and I've got highlights and notes all over it. And I've got it in my drawer. I probably need to review it at some point in time, just because it's one of those books that it's like at no point in time is this not going to resonate and apply to your life if you're not, if you're reading this. And one of them was like, are you listening to respond or are you listening to understand? And so that third and final one there just speaks to me the most, especially for me being a huge talker and someone who wants to be the center of the show, which is just ego. I've always wanted to be the center of the show. I wanted to be the clown of the party. I wanted to make the best joke. I wanted everyone to remember who I was, but I wanted to them at a certain point in time or most of my life, even I wanted them to remember who I was so that they could talk me up and so that I could become more popular and I could become more well-known. And now I think it's shifted and it's not always against that. Like sometimes I do notice myself being in that mindset where it's like, I want them to talk about me because I like hearing it. It feeds my ego. But now more often than not, I notice that the reason I talk is because I want something, I want you to take something from what I'm saying. I want you to understand that I fought a lot of mental battles to get to this point. And if I'm talking to you and it makes you think harder and understand yourself a little more. And when you talk to me, you feel like, wow, he's trying to understand what I'm going through or trying to understand what I'm saying and trying to respond with something that actually applies and relates to the Mm -hmm. subject, Mm -hmm. then I'm doing a good job. And I'll never be perfect. I'll never do a great job every time. I won't even do a good job sometimes. Sometimes it's an absolute shitty job and I walk away from conversations and I'm like, I could have done so much better and shown them more love and respect. But it's all about trying your best because I try my best to try and apply that principle to my life of just listen, understand, and relate to people because that experience of connection removes the idea of that I need to be addicted to something that makes me feel better. And when you're no longer addicted to something and whatever it is in your life, when you're no longer addicted to one thing and addicted to being not even addicted really, but more attracted to the idea of being well-rounded, all of a sudden you're no longer being selfish and self-centered. You're being selfless and showing love, giving love, giving respect and all those other things. And the last thing I'll touch on right quick is like kind of my own personal belief. Other people might not agree with this. They might not believe it or whatever. I always say that I don't necessarily believe that hate exists in this world. I believe there's a lack of love and that kind of applies for everything because love is kind of that universal idea that everything is connected and, you know, attached to each other. And because love is that one thing that connects us all together. And like at any point in time, whether or not you've got beef with someone or you've been disbanded or broke off, or there was a fight or dispute between you two, all of a sudden, when you show love, whether it's time that healed it or whether it's just a good communication that helped healed it, you no longer feel that hate 
or the resentment or that anger or that fear that you're going to lose them, you feel like you're all of a sudden getting yourself back and giving them the real authentic you and showing that love. And so, like I said, man, it's not really that I believe hate doesn't exist necessarily, but I think there's a lot less hate in this world than we'd like to believe. And there's a lot more just lack of love, lack of understanding, lack of belief that we need to be connected because we are all the same in a lot of ways. And that's what causes the addictions to whether it's I'm addicted to this because I fear something. I'm addicted to this because I resent someone or resent something because they think a little bit differently than me. But the thing is, is like, do they really think that differently than you? Or maybe you just haven't listened to understand their side of things. Maybe you're actually on the same side. You're just trying to use a different strategy or tactic to accomplish your goals. But at the end of the day, the goals are all the same. Love, take care of, and show respect to other people. And if both of you guys on the left or the right or whatever you want to call it politically want to get to the same goal of having everyone on the same page, but you're using different strategies, do you really have to hate the other strategy? Or do you need to understand how their strategy might work and yours might work? And maybe there's a middle ground that both can work at the same time. And it's all about collecting data and understanding that this is the best way for the human race to get to this point. Yeah, I think you've said a few things today that the human race needs. You know, Nelson Mandela, I don't know if you ever heard this story, but when, when he was, this is one of my favorite stories. When he was trying to unite South Africa and the country, he had this term, it was Ubuntu. And it was... Uh, yeah, if you're just the best version of yourself that day, if everyone can be the best version of themselves that day, not the best person you're ever going to be, but you woke up in the morning and you had a certain level of capabilities. If you can just meet your ceiling for that day, everything would be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it encompassed everything you just said. If you could just be the nicest person you're capable of being that day, if work as hard as you can that day. You're, everything will be okay. And if everyone could do that, that's where we become unifiers. If everyone could love the most. And, and it was, I've actually, I've got it on the board behind my screen right now. And I've got it on a board out in my training center because I used it for a motivating email for my, for my staff and for my members. And I put it on a big leaderboard we have with a bunch of exercises. And it's just a little reminder every day. And I love it because really a lot of it's for me. You know, every day as a coach slash business owner slash father, if I can just sometimes just seeing the word as like a little self-assessment moment, was mm-hmm. I? And then like you said earlier, I can look back at 10 examples of that day of like, you know what? Here's probably 10 examples where I wasn't. I could have mm-hmm. handled that a little better. I could have sent that email a little better. I could have handled that salesman that walked in my door who I really didn't want to talk to a little better. Mm-hmm. So it's just this constant reminder of, uh, of everything you just said. So I, I love, love the message, man. Absolutely. When, and kind of, and I won't call it the last part of the day, but, but kind of, when did you, you know, obviously you've always been an athlete and have always been to coaching. You are, you sounds like you're in and out of coaching throughout your entire process, mm-hmm. but I know now you're, you're training for, for nationals and you've gotten into powerlifting yourself, you know, it has, maybe we just talk in general about how fitness has been maybe a part of your personal journey, even though you're a coach, your personal fitness and where that plays a role in everything you're doing now. Yeah. So for me, even when I was in rehab, like the biggest thing is I hadn't been working out for the last, you know, I would work out one or two times a week, even when I was addicted to drugs and alcohol. But when I got into rehab after my three days of detox, I was kind of like, I'm gonna hit this shit hard. And when I checked into rehab, I was actually 180 pounds, which doesn't sound bad for someone who's six feet tall, but I was skinny. I was thin. And 
you could tell that something was different. And when my parents even came to pick me up uh, 45 days later, I was 220, 225, something like that. But I was wow. eating three square meals a day, eating every time before I went to bed, wake and just eating well. But there was a two week period when I was in there while I was working out there, you know, they have two times a day where you can work out. Mm-hmm. And most people barely even went once when they did. And I was going in two times a day, every day, seven days a week. And there was a certain point in time when one of the older guys just sat me down and was like, I get it. You're addicted. You're not like addicted to it, but you love it. You love what you do. You love working out. That's kind of like your release time, but are you spending too much time there? And I even like almost argued with them. I was like, no, I'm not. Of course I'm not. Like it's being healthy. Like, and I'm dividing up my workouts really well where I'm doing my compounds one time I go work out <laughs> and I'm doing my accessories next. And you just don't understand working out to understand why I'm doing two times a day. And then I really like, he didn't say much more after that. He was like, just think about it. And that was like the best thing I could have heard. Cause I was like, I couldn't like have had that conversation. I would have, my ego would have kept fighting him would have just been like, I'm right. And you're wrong. And that's cause you don't understand what I understand. And then I realized he was right because that second time I was going to work out or even the first time I was going to work out, I could have been sitting with some of my friends and sitting with those people from rehab and talking to them and hearing what they're getting from today. And it's not that working out two times a day is ever bad, but I realized that during that two week period, when I was doing that, I was replacing drugs and alcohol with working out. And if I didn't get that second workout, like one night I had to like meet with the doctors and nurses or whatever, and like go over my medication and it like ruined my whole day. I was just like, I'm so mad that I didn't get that second workout. And it was becoming a part of my identity. And granted, I think it is definitely a part of my identity and like who I am and what I do there's days now where it's like before I was on like a specific powerlifting program where I would just be like, I'm not working out today. It's just busy day. Life happens. I'm going to go train the kids and I'll go work out tomorrow. And I feel like I know I'll probably do it at some point in the future, but I feel like I no longer punish myself and just am like, I didn't work out today. I'm not Trevor because Trevor is going to be Trevor. The one thing I want everyone to remember is that he was a good person. I'm a power lifter. I'm a sports performance coach. I'm a business owner. I'm a sober man, but I don't want any of that shit on my graveyard. When I die, if there's one thing you put on my grave, a good person, that's it. Whether it was connecting with you through any of those avenues, I want everyone to come into my life and walk away at any point in time, whether it's just because of my death that I've walked away or if we separate and they move to a different city or they're not even in my city and we just stop talking or stop connecting. If they hear my name in the future, I want them to be like, that guy was a good guy. He meant well, he did right by everyone. And he tried to do some of those things that I've talked about earlier in the podcast with the understanding, with the showing how to connect better, showing love and everything he did. And obviously I fail at that, but there's ways that I can do better. And that's the most exciting thing about the human journey for me is that there's ways to do better. And if there wasn't, what are we here for? Because it's all about human improvement, not just ours, but how are we helping other people improve? And sometimes when you talk and help someone else out, I've learned that I've given advice before that I was like, shit, you might need to hear this advice. But what's weird is the person who needed to hear that most was me. And if I didn't hear your problems, I wouldn't have been able to fix my problems because I didn't even know I had a problem in this area of my life. 
whether it's a relationship, whether it's how I treat my family, whether it's how I go about my business, whether it's training kids, sometimes me giving advice turns over on me very quickly and very shockingly where I'm like, damn, I needed to hear that more than you, I think. And that's why we're sitting here talking because I thought I was just giving to you. And I really just gave some information myself that I really needed to know. And so when it comes to the fitness identity and stuff like that, like I said, it's like, it's a part of my life. And I always tell people injury prevention doesn't exist because you can do all the ankle cars and the hip cars and the PRIs and the proper warmups and all the strength training that you want to do in the world. But you're one fall down the stairs. You're one car accident away. You're one freak like barbell fell on me when someone else dropped it away from six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks of you can't do that thing anymore. How are you going to respond to it? That's right. And if you're not a good person, I think fitness is just, like I said, when I was in rehab, man, it just became a replacement. It was an addiction. And yeah, I'd say I'm pretty into it at this point in my life, but at any point in time, it can be gone shark bite in the freaking water one leg's gone and people have had that happen to them am i still going to be a good person and i like to think to myself and truly believe right now if any of that shit happens and i'm down for the count the rest of my life or even just a small period of my life i'd like to think i'd still respond well and just be like still going to keep the path of being trevor a good person not trevor the power lifter not trevor the sports performance coach not trevor the mentor not trevor the anything else fill in the blank Trevor the good person that's all I want people to remember me as Trevor I can't think of a better message to end this episode on that was that was awesome very 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 cool I, I can see a follow-up episode in our future because there's a lot of things we can go on from this uh, absolutely but for today I'd like people to hear where they can find you I don't keep up with Facebook too much unfortunately because there's just a lot of Everyone knows best out there, but Trevor Lewis Costello is my Facebook. Um, otherwise, I keep a lot of my stuff to Instagram because I think I've surrounded myself with a solid network of people like yourself, people like Kyle and Matt with Compound Performance, who I, every time I get on and no knock on a lot of my friends, I've muted some people that are just doing the same stuff over and over again in life. So my stories and my posts, if it doesn't make me think, I don't really want to see it. And that's what I love. Or if it doesn't make me feel proud of you, I don't want to see it. So I like seeing a lot of that stuff. And that's why I said just basically Instagram is the best way to find me at TLC performance, no spaces and an underscore at the end. So if anyone wants to find me there, shoot me a follow. I follow back most people that post pretty frequently. And also just if I see mutual followers, I'm not shy of being one of those fitness people that has a million followers, but is only following three people. Like at a certain point in time, they've just put themselves in an echo chamber. And so I liked as not like in a superficial amount, I don't care about my ratio. I like to keep up with as many people as I can. And if you're going to follow me and show me that respect, if you're posting about stuff and posting about life and posting about stuff that whether or not it helps me or not, if we've got mutual connections, I'm going to shoot you a follow because I want to see where you're going in life at that point in time. So I like it. Like I said, Connection is the opposite of addiction. So if you're not connecting with other people and you're just forcing others to connect with you, you're not doing anything but feeding your own ego. You're not helping anyone else. Therefore, you're not helping yourself. So TLC performance underscore. And that's me on Instagram. So everyone go check out Trevor's page. Look at the highlights. That's where you'll find the video we talked about earlier, as well as some other great stuff. 
Trevor, thanks, man. Thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for telling your story. Thanks for having the story. I mean, in all sincerity. Thank you. Glad I've got Um, it. Stick around here. Listeners, thank you very much. Everything of today will be in the show notes or, of course, email me at info at marhealthandperformance.com and I'll get you in touch with Trevor. Everyone have a great day and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at Mar Health and Performance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day. See you next time.